are you, man? I'm good, man. And you? Let me just adjust my thing here so it doesn't slip. Yeah, man. All right. So this is the start to episode 20. Uh, we made it to uh, 2-0. Why don't you tell everybody who we have on camera? Yeah, give me a sec while I... What's up, man? My name's Homie Diaz. I'm originally from New York. I'm now living in Los Angeles and pursuing my own dream, you know, my own brand, Magnus Alpha, and telling my story through the message of the vehicle of my brand, which is being a product of an immigrant. That's beautiful. Well, we'll get into that. Um, so for those that don't know, and, and you know, it's kind of funny how we, we've sort of uh, re, reconnected. Uh, we've met uh -huh. over, over the years a couple times, but not really in any capacity. Um, the latest and kind of what sparked this idea of you joining me on an untold narrative was, um, you know, you, you joined uh, Kiko over at uh, uh, Brooklyn Shoe Space on, uh, yeah. on their interviews. And then I just did one. Uh, we reconnected that way. We've also crossed paths at ComplexCon uh, yep. when you were with Daniel Bailey. Uh, and then I definitely remember, your name's really hard to forget, but I remember when you were at K-Swiss way back, uh, I, it's got to be five years ago now. Yeah, just about. Well, Palladium, five years ago exactly, I was still at Palladium, and then I moved over to K-Swiss in 2000, I want to say 16, I moved over with them, which so, is the same company. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, so we've kind of crossed paths in a number of different ways, but, um, you know, the, the latest uh, of, of reconnection, I was like, man, uh, we got to have him on, on uh, to share your story uh, with everybody as, as you've kind of transitioned throughout uh, your career in footwear uh, and onto your own thing. I think it's going to be uh, an awesome episode ahead. Um, but with that being said, uh, you said you're from New York. Why don't you talk about kind of your your origin? Obviously, you tell a very powerful message through your current brand. Um, and obviously, where you grew up and where you're from is obviously super important. Yeah, man. So I, I was born and raised in Queens. And uh, for those that don't know, Queens is a melting pot of different cultures, you know, everyone living on top of one another. It's rated one of the most diverse cities across the world in terms of how many different walks of life, you know, settle there from so many different countries, cultures mashing up together. So that was quite a, quite an education growing up, you know, getting a taste of the world, you know, literally above me, below me, beside me, left and right. And that always stuck with me. You know, my parents were born in the Dominican Republic. So basically, uh, my first language was Spanish, you know, they didn't speak any English when I was a child. I didn't learn how to speak English until watching Saturday morning cartoons after a few years of grasping that and then going to kindergarten so as you can tell or at least as you can imagine it was quite a culture shock trying to assimilate to the American standards that were being taught in school and so I just that always stuck with me so the brand ethos as being you know is, is shedding a positive light on the luxury of being a product of an immigrant the things I experienced naturally growing up many people pay for those experiences you know I, I was just immersed into it you know by my surroundings so I'm very thankful for that so my brand pays homage to that so what um obviously you are currently based in LA yep and so at what point growing up um did, did you just do your full growing up kind of childhood in New York City and then you know where'd you go to school you know how'd you get to LA 
Yeah, I went to, um, I, yeah, I was born and raised there and I didn't uh, move to LA until uh, 2007. So to back that okay. up, I went, I went to Bayside High School for art and uh, basically, you know, I always had an affinity for art, you know, it was, you know, cliche, I guess stories is like, hey, I was drawing comic books all the time, trying to copy them and, you know, create scenes out of a comic book, you know, line for line, shade, shade for shade, trying to replicate it. So that was like my early experiences into art. And then I got into skateboarding in the uh, late 80s. And skateboarding really, you know, turned me on into arts in general. It, it allowed me to find my expression within art, you know, from music to drawing to graphics, you know, like for example, the skateboarding videos are very diverse in the music selection. So every skater skated to a completely different genre of music. So you can only imagine, you know, before I was a teenager, I was getting this crash course on music and all these different groups from the Beatles to Pantera to, you know, hip hop, you know, I mean like the gamut, it ran the gamut. So, you know, I developed all these I developed this ear for all these different these different genres of music. So that was just one part of art that skateboarding influenced. Then the other was the graphics on skateboards. Like I was just enamored by all the different graphics and the style of art that was applied on skateboards. So that really fueled me into art, you know? And then the way we dressed, you know, our culture, which is pretty evident today, the influence of skateboarding culture and the way we dress. So, you know, that DIY, that DIY approach to how we, you know, our swagger and, and you know, most of it for look and feel and then part of it for function, you know, on a skateboard. Right. So that was all like this all encompassing art, design, fashion. It was just all like just a mashup. And then again, all the cultures that I was consuming in New York City. So I ended up going to Bayside High School for art. And, you know, at that time, you know, skateboarding, there wasn't a lot of money in skateboarding at that time, unfortunately in the industry, it was definitely a stepchild of the, of the hobbies. <laughs> it wasn't a sport then. So that sucked. So I realized early on that skateboarding wasn't or couldn't be a career for me to Were you sustain. decent at it? Yeah, man, honestly, uh, you know, to be It's okay honest, to brag I, a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really good. I was really, really good it, because I put in the time. Yeah. Not because, you know, hey, I was just a natural, no, because I put in the thousands of hours monthly, <laughs> like even at some points, especially during the summer, because in New York, the winters would come and that would just ruin yeah. the ability to skate. So, you, you know, when the summer, when the good weather rolled around, you know, we went hard at it for day and night. So it was thousands of hours, you know, in, in a summer period that we were putting into this thing. And I started early. I was, you know, uh, eight or nine when I really got into it and, I got into it because there was a few older guys on my block that were skateboarding, that were into Metallica. So again, I got, I got into Metallica, Megadeth because of those guys. And, you know, I was a little kid trying to emulate them and try to follow them. And I wasn't old enough to go off and leave the block with them. So I was kind of this little annoying kid, but at the same <laughs> time, interesting to them because I was so, cause they were the outcast of the block. And I was like, so praising them that they were like, man, we gotta, we gotta let this kid in. He loves us. So then, you know, I remember one summer to the next, I was literally better than them skateboarding, like, and they were just blown away. So then I became their friend because I was so good at it. And then next thing you know, like, I just started re naturally recruiting and, and organically um, attracting other kids in the borough to skate. And then I became this, the go-to 
guy to go learn how to skate, you know, learn a trick from. And then my block became famous for it. So a lot of skateboarders, when they came to Queens, they would come to my little street to come meet me and either learn a trick or just to hang out or get some food because my mom was an amazing cook. Again, the culture. <laughs> and yeah, and I just became like, I became maybe top five in Queens. I, whenever somebody thought about, you know, Queens in the early 90s, my name came up. And that's just wow. being humble. That's just being humble. It just came up. My name came up. That's but amazing. Again, yeah, but then again, it, you know, unfortunately for me, um, there wasn't a lot of money in skateboarding. So, you know, I came from humble beginnings. My parents were just below middle class, you know, level, more on the poor side, obviously. One bedroom apartment, you know, uh, a lot of hand-me-downs. So, you know, I owed it to them to really, you know, give my future a serious shot. So, <laughs> but then again, I went for art. So it wasn't did they, like, did they ever yes. push back on, uh, on skateboarding and like you obviously like, spending so many time so much time and hours into it yeah yeah of course i mean they supported me and they were definitely they saw how skateboarding took me away from the real nitty-gritty of the neighborhood and the bad the really bad obvious choices drugs whether right. selling or using was very was the king of the block and then it then then it was me literally it was drugs selling drugs pushing drugs using drugs and then there was me making the noise on the street, literally. Like that was the noise like level. It was like gunshots, skateboarding taps and claps, and, like, <laughs> grinds on the curbs. Like literally I was, I was, you know, up there with the noise. So they preferred that obviously over what was really going on in the street. So did you, yeah, did they, you, they supported it. Did you ever consider like going pro or anything like that? Or like, was that just not an option? man, it was a desire. It was, it was definitely a dream. Uh, although as I got older and older, it just, you know, as when I started skateboarding, it was, it was somewhat on the come up, but then as I started to get good, the, the, I guess just the economy with investing in skateboarding leveled out for, to a certain degree, especially on the East coast, on the West coast, it was striving, but on the East coast, again, because of the winter, the season was gone yeah. for so long that, there was just no eyes on New York City, you know, in terms of skateboard brands on the West, on the West Coast prospecting, you know, skaters on the East Coast. So what that means is that few and far in between got really put on to a higher level where they were making money and they were traveling. You know, fortunately, I had friends that made it, you know, but again, it wasn't that many. It wasn't yeah. dozens of them. You know, it was maybe one out of a dozen that got put on and like took years to get paid. You know what I mean? So again, it was a desire to become pro, but the better I got, the, the more the industry uh, took a pause on investing in East Coast skaters. So I had to, you know, come to terms with that and say, you know what, I need to invest my time elsewhere. And then that was art, you know? So, so you, while you were balancing that, I mean, you, you obviously had a knack for art and creativity and, and drawing and, and, and all those worlds colliding. So you, you, it sounds like you went to like an art specific high school. Yeah. Bayside high school was known for its sports and art and okay. the art curric and the art curriculum was weak at best. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was so, <laughs> it, it was, it was so weak, you know, that it, it, I remember being there and I was more inspired by a couple of older students that were like juniors and seniors at the time when I was a freshman, I was inspired more by them and their talent than the, than the curriculum and the challenges that I was getting from classes. So, kind of, you know, I was at a point that I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe art's not a good thing. This sucks. You know, the art 
in a more higher level of education. I was kind of losing my way at, at one point. And then when those kids graduated, it was really like so uninspiring that, you know, as I was in junior high, I was in junior year, I was just like, man, I don't know about this art thing, you know, I don't even know if I should pursue it. So, you know, when it came around time to, to apply for colleges and all that pressure from the schools or oh, you got to, you know, you got to apply for college now, you got to like select your, your top picks. Man, I was lost. I was like, I didn't want to be a cliche, you know, I didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor. It was just, which, which was everything that everyone else was talking about. Those, those, you know, the usual suspects of, you know, careers to go into. Meanwhile, I'm in an art school and no one's talking about art. And yeah. I'm like, why isn't anybody like any teachers or any other students like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going for Cooper Union. I'm going for, uh, pace i'm going for you know i'm going for all these fit like no one's talking about this stuff and i'm just like man am i the again the odd man out like i was on my block skateboarding for a while and interesting enough before i went into high school i was in junior high and i was at a family gathering uh which one of many because i have a huge family and i remember one of my aunts because i'm the eldest grandson on my dad's side you know they always looked at me for like pointed questions because i was the bit the older you know cousins they you know an aunt had asked me like hey what do you want to be when you grow up and you know at that time skateboarding art i was like i want to be an artist and my aunt was like man you know artists don't become famous or wealthy until after they're dead you know like pablo picasso and i was like damn shut me down <laughs> i was like all right damn, okay you know like great and interesting enough like my mom made she didn't even say anything at that time at that family gathering, but it, I knew she, I came to find out that she put that in her back pocket, that she saw that man, he was, you know, his, his uh, aspirations were shut down. So one night we were driving home sometime after from another family uh, gathering and we were driving by and she, my mom points out like, oh, look at that new perfume shop. It was a perfume shop that opened on, on, a, on a shopping strip on our way home, but this was after hours, so it was closed. So we're driving by and my mom was like, oh, look at that new perfume shop. Um, I wonder if they have the new Oscar de la Renta perfume in there. So, you know, my, my, my brother and I, much younger at the time, we were like, huh? We're like, what are you talking about? And we're like, what's, what's Oscar de la Renta? She goes, Oscar de la Renta. You know, he's a Dominican designer. He's alive. He's famous and he's wealthy. And that shit blew my mind. Because we're, you know, we're Dominican. So she, she held that in her back pocket and she threw that in there kind of like a motivation. Like you can be wealthy and rich as a designer or an artist. Just look at this guy. He's like us. He came right. from the same, he came from where I came from, literally, you know, from poverty and, you know, went to Europe, you know, got trained by, by Balenciaga himself, Lanvin and like a bunch of other art, you know, and became this, you know, a mega powerhouse couture house. So I was like, wow okay so interesting enough fast forward i'm back in high school like i mentioned i'm lost i'm like oh man i don't know what i'm gonna do with myself and then military became you know an option like oh i could travel the world you know whatever whatever get out of here i'm in i'm in my last year of um spanish class and i walk in for the first time into this class and the spanish teacher is spanish and she happens to be dominican like like my like my parents at the time, I don't even remember if I knew for sure she was Dominican or not. I just knew she was Caribbean and she was amazing, her, her demeanor. And in, one, and in one class, she has her, her classroom is really well decorated, portraits, like she's like really nice vibes in this classroom. 
And at one point she's like, she says something and then she goes like Oscar de la Renta. And she points to the side of the classroom and she had a portrait with him and his wife. My, meanwhile, when, I, when, I, when my mom mentioned this to me, this was pre-internet. I had no yeah, idea yeah, what yeah. the guy looked like. I had no way of looking him up. It was just that one time that was like a spark of, 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 infl- of like inspiration. Went on about my life. Fast forward, I'm depressed. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going with my life in high school. And she mentions that. And for the first time, I see what the man looks like. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm in high school. I'm in art school. This is a sign I need to do this. I need to And, just... and your teacher's got a picture with him. Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, wow, if, there's, if, there, if there has ever been a sign, this is, this is a sign. So then I decided to apply for Parsons School of Design. I, I applied to one school. That's <laughs> that was Parsons? it. I just applied to Parsons. Like, this is where I want to go. Because one of, the, one of the older kids at the time, when I entered into um, Bayside, one of them went to Parsons. And I kept in touch with him. And he raved about it. So that was like my point of reference. No one, I, I, had no, I didn't know anyone close enough that can give me real feedback on Cooper Union or, 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 or Pace or FIT, but this person did give me great, great feedback about Parsons having been there and I admired him for his talent. So I was like, you know what, I'm going for Parsons. And again, I applied to one school and I got in, you know, it was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, obviously, most most people in the design or creative community know know Parsons as as a a, a, a top tier school. I actually have the opportunity uh, in two Fridays from now. I'm speaking there uh, for one of their online classes, so I'm super excited about that. Um, oh, that's dope. Yeah, I mean, Parsons is like renowned, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you had a tremendous experience there. Oh, it was amazing, man. I mean, Parsons was boot camp for art. That's for one thing. It was straight, like, it was really hard. But, you know, at the same time, I wanted it so bad that I, I can honestly say for the first time, I really applied myself in school. Whereas, you know, through high school, I mean, high, junior high school, I applied myself. Uh, elementary school was whatever, you know, fun, bugging out, you know. And then as a kid. So junior high school, I applied myself really well in school. And then high school, I just fell off, man. Like I said, I got depressed for quite a, t- quite a bit of time. And I felt lost. You know, I was just there to get by. And I miraculously a, got in. When you, when you reflect on that moment, right, of like, like really applying yourself to this craft throughout college, do you think it's like the, the fear of failure, like towards your, your immigrant parents? Because like speaking for myself, like I was born in Poland, my parents are immigrants as well. And like when I was like an average at best high school student. And then like when I got into like went for industrial design, like I was like, I can't F this up. Like this is 40 plus grand a year. Like this is it. Like I'm doing this. Like it was like it was like that fear of fear. Like I'm not going to like a community college. Like this is my one shot. One thousand percent. I mean, that was that was clutch because, you know, again, yeah, it was obviously the money. Uh, I had a not a point to prove, but a passion to fulfill, you know, despite, you know, what my aunt said or anyone else said, teachers said when they, they said to me I was an idiot for applying to one school and of all schools Parsons the hardest school to get into they're like yeah, yeah. good luck with that one that, that was the feedback I got yeah. you know it was to the point that like look you know I got to do this more for myself than anyone else but at the same time you know there's a lot of people I need to prove wrong in the process but you know 
again, my parents were definitely at the forefront of, you know, me uh, doing it and giving it my all, you know, because at the same, at the same time, it's not like I went to Parsons being like, I'm going to Parsons to graduate and get and become this. I had no idea. I was just in there. But at the same time, I was applying myself, taking all the classes and breaking night because it was so hard. It was so many classes. It was like 13 classes a semester. It was, it was rough, man. It was, it was tough. So, you know, my parents, we moved from a one bedroom apartment for the first time ever when I was 18 going into Parsons into a two bedroom wow. apartment just so that I had a chance. And I'm the only one that had my own bedroom. You know, my, my, my sister slept with my parents in their room. My brother slept in the living room and I had a bedroom that was really more like a, a pseudo pantry, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was off the kitchen, connected to the kitchen. It was a bedroom, but it was so tiny. Yeah. And that was my space, you know, so I could focus and get my work done. So wow. my parents made their sacrifice and I had to, you know, make it count. And, you know, I did, you know. Well, I just got a lot of chills, man. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's like, uh, I, I love that. That's like legit the American dream, like looking back on it and just, you know, all those sacrifices and things like that. Like you just can't, you can't make yeah. that stuff up. Yeah, man. And again, that, that's, that's why like my brand is about that, you know, being a product of an immigrant, paying homage to that. They, I am a product of my parents, you know, they yeah. took me to the Dominican Republic every summer from when I was born till maybe, you know, at the, after the age of 12 is when it was every other year because of money, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But, you know, I experienced their lifestyle you know, firsthand, you know, it's not like I could, uh, oh, my parents were poor. No, I know how poor they were. I was there. I went there and, you know, I, I, I assimilated with the kids in the neighborhood that they grew up in the shacks and like, you know, tin ceilings, you know, like I know what it is to be poor, you know? Yeah. That's wild. When, um, when you were at Parsons, what, what was like the, was there a trigger moment that like, was like, oh, footwear is going to be it? Or like, how did you get into footwear? What was your first job out of college? Yeah, well, you know. That's a loaded Parsons, question, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> of course. I mean, well, first off, just to, just to make the story more interesting. Again, I applied to one school, which was very risky. And thanks to skateboarding, this is how crazy the universe is. I went into admissions, uh, my admissions meeting um, to be interviewed for a possibility to even get in. And I went in there you know, nervous as hell, honestly, with my pseudo portfolio, whatever I had from, from Bayside, which was pretty crappy to, to be honest, again, the curriculum, curriculum was pretty weak. And I get my name called. And the way he called the person calls my name, they're like, homie. And I'm like, Oh, great. Here we go. This person's going to be like, what's your real name? Like, I, that was the story of my life. Come on, man. What's your real name? And he looks up and I look up at him and I'm like, and he's like, he's like, Oh my God. And it's like this guy I skateboarded with many moons ago he was older than me but you know we knew each other very well we and had he's in admissions yeah and he's like you know <laughs> and i'm like he's like oh my god man hugs like come in you know and it wasn't like i'm in it was like real reality check like look man your portfolio needs work he coached me he gave me the best pointers the best advice i went home i must have broke night for like a week straight came back and I got in man and it was like had it been someone else it would have been like look you, you just not cut out for this right. piece you wow. know what I mean so just it just goes to show you like 
the the full circle of my life and you know he's a product of an immigrant too you know um technically you know whatever we all are but you know it's just it's just interesting like the culture how the culture played such a huge influence in my life so now fast forward to the the, the to, to complete the loaded question footwear wasn't an option at parsons it didn't exist you know back then there was no courses related to footwear whatsoever um i only can remember because whenever i looked at other colleges curriculums just to be curious footwear never came up it was just fashion design and it was all about draping and illustration whatever whatever uh, so I never even thought about footwear. It never came up and never, even though I loved footwear and I was really into footwear because A, being a New Yorker, footwear was, you know, it was just the Bible and then skateboarding, you know, the type of footwear we had to wear. And so footwear was just a big, huge part of my upbringing. But again, footwear as a, co- as a career and as a design path never entered my mind. So fast forward, I graduate. Unfortunately, I graduated during 9-11, right before 9-11. Oh, my God. So when, I gra- so when I graduated in May of 2001, they had warned us that graduation saying, look, the economy is terrible. The art industry, design industry is at an all-time low. You're going to have a hard time finding a job. Please, it's not because you're not ready. It's not because you're not talented enough. You have to ride out the storm. You hang in there. The, the fact of the matter is, those that'll come away with a job after graduation are those that more, more than likely had an internship already. But other than that, hang in there. Sure enough, it was terrible in the summer. Then 9-11 happens. You, I don't even have to go into it. You know, everything is just shut down. It's terrible. I ended up getting a job with Apple Computer in their store because I just needed to pay the bill. So before that, I was doing retouching odd jobs, graphic design, whatever I can get my hands on little by little to pay the bills, but there was no like real art job. So I just turned my, my attention to Apple computer who was opening their first store in New York city at the Soho store. And I was like, Hey, I, I applied, I got the job and I figured it would be a great place to network, which sure. if there's a, if there's anything that skateboarding taught me was networking. So I got that job there and that was my first job out of college. Wow. And so how long did you work there? Like what, what how do you, how do you go from that moment to like really because if you google your name your your footwear career comes up right i mean that's yeah that, that's what happens so like how do you go from apple retail <laughs> to to what's your first footwear brand like how do how do you make that transition yeah so so i went in with apple with the you know positive you know mindset you know most people were bummed for me you know my Girlfriend at the time, parents, friends are like, you just graduated from school. You got a degree and you're going to go work retail. Oh, to me, they were like, you failed or you're going into this hole that you're going to get sucked in and never come out of. So everybody was like negative Nancy about it. And I was like, no, this is great. I'm going to network. I'm going to meet people. You know, this is my, this is my skateboarding culture, you know, mentality speaking and thinking. And everyone's like, you're delusional. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to do my thing. So I'm at Apple for five years and a few months. Wow. And yeah, and I'm just grinding it out. I'm making decent money, enough money to stay there and be a lifer. Right. You know, I'm paying my bills. You know, I actually ended up buying a condo. Like I'm good. I'm really good. But at the same time, I'm like, I got to get out of here, you know? So I was very selective. Job offers came my way to leave Apple, to, 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 to join the design force in some capacity. But I turned a lot of things down. 
until this one opportunity came my way and they became my client first and it was DC shoes. And so DC shoes became my client. Cause I was, I became the, the, the head of business sales at the Apple store in Soho. So my job consisted of building business relationships before a transaction. So I was, I was, I was, I was servicing small, medium, large businesses. So I was dealing with CEOs and presidents and art directors, whatever have you. And I was doing transactions, transactions solely based on, the product being used for business. So I was in it. I was in the world. That's a was, story within itself. You just, you go from like yeah. base level retail at Apple to like just working with CEOs and businesses. Yeah. So it, it got really, <laughs> it got really interesting, man. It got, it got, it, it was, it was, it got to a point that it was rewarding to a certain level, but at the same time, it was a teaser to my ambition and my passion, which I was seeing the art happen, but I couldn't touch it. Wow. You know, so it was like, I got to get out of here and I got to get into that world. And so eventually DC Shoes became my client. And again, I grew up skateboarding. So I knew everything about DC Shoes. Yeah. And as fate would have it, the person that came in asking for solutions for DC happened to be someone I knew back in the day. But he wasn't a skateboarder. He was a sneaker aficionado, worked at a, sne a famous retail store, sneaker store in Queens, a few towns over from me which I had been to many, many times, met him there, met him outside of the store. And he was famous. His name was Sneaker Steve. And basically him and I knew each other. We lived this parallel lives through Queens where back to the story when I was doing freelance graphic design after college, even during college, I was designing a lot of pl like club flyers for party nights. And of course on the flyer, I would say designed by homie Diaz, really small print, really tiny. And there was so many flyers that were designed by homie Diaz, hosted by Sneaker Steve. So, you know, we lived this parallel world in that regard, but then we were in opposite worlds. I was skateboarding art, he was pushing sneakers and parties. Have you ever I met wasn't... before this point? Yeah, yeah, we knew each other, but oh, okay. we weren't hanging out because I was busy skateboarding and doing art. He was busy selling sneakers and doing parties. So, you know, I was so far on this world, but our, in, our worlds were always intersecting. So, you know, this was, again, years prior. So then he, you know, years later, after not having seen each other throughout my college and, you know, after college, he comes into the sneak to the Apple store looking for some, you know, help. I, they point them to me or they say my name. They're like, he's like, you need to talk to homie. And he's like, homie. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I want to talk to homie. So they call me, I come out of my office and they're like, oh my God, what's up? So anyway, so the relationship builds up, you know, obviously he's like, right away, he's like, Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. You know, DC shoe better than me. So we have these wild conversations about our stories. He hits up people at corporate that know me that used to be pro skateboarders or what have you in the world. And they're like, yeah, of course we know homie. And <laughs> the world becomes smaller and smaller. They, every time they come to town, which again, they're based in California in San Diego, whenever the, the heads of, you know, the big heads would come to town, pro skaters, the directors, the VPs that would take me out to dinner, because, you know, the relationship was building through, you know, a course of a good year. And then they, they start divulging a lot of plans that they have that they wouldn't share with anyone. And they start telling me about the things they're doing with the company. And one of them was they told me about Rob, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, Rob's show before it happened. I knew that it was in development. A lot of things were happening that I knew behind the scene. And then they threw one thing at me where they said, hey, we're going to open a store in Soho, our first DC store. And it was literally around the corner from the Apple store. 
So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I said, hey, this was before this was before social media. This was strictly blogs. Only blogs at this time. What year was this? This was two thousand, I wanna say uh four, two thousand three, okay. two thousand four, you know. So this was all like, you know, Nike talk and crooked talk. Like it was just, it was blogs and forums. There was no social media. There was, you know, Facebook was probably, ah, man. Not even. Just getting started. Not even. So anyway, yeah. so, you know, it was my space and stuff like that. Anyway, so we're, they're talking to me, they tell me about this. And I said, hey, you know what? I, I think what would be a really great idea for you guys to launch or, or you know, draft some press before you open the store. I think it would be really amazing for you guys to, do a collaboration with the Apple store, just our store, because this is the neighborhood that you're opening it. I'm, I'm, I'm on the managing team and we have over 315 employees at this one store. And at the time, you know, they knew, they knew the store was a big deal. We were the first store to do a million dollars in one day. Wow. We had seen in the first quarter, we had seen over, uh, I forget how many, it was over 500,000 people in the first quarter. Some ridiculous number came through the door. It was like, it was mind blowing numbers. So everyone knew the power of the Apple store. And so it was the first store with the glass stairs. I mean, jobs was coming in and out of the store, Steve jobs. It was, it was a big deal. So they were like, huh, that's not a bad idea. So, you know, I guess they got back to talking in corporate and uh, next thing you know, they're like, yeah, let's do this. So I helped curate and give direction on the sneaker. Uh, next thing you know, Damon way, the co-founder of, of DC, He's on a plane from, I guess, from San Diego up to San Francisco, which where he had a place to live. And on the plane, he ended up sitting next to the co-founder of InCase. This is InCase in its infancy. Like Apple Store, the Apple Store where I worked, we were like the first store to carry InCase. So it was very new at the time. And, and at that time, just before, uh, just before the collaboration discussion of the, the Apple Store with DC, InCase and DC Shoes, had just launched the backpack collaboration. And at the same time, I guess the conversation struck like, hey, we're gonna do the shoe at the Apple store Soho. You wanna do a shoe bag for it? And they were like, we're in. So they did a, they did a shoe bag, a leather shoe bag and a, and a leather iPod folio for wow. it. Wow. So it, it was the, the, the Soho striker shoe, all black with a gray logo, rubber tab logo to match our, our uniform the black bag with the gray logos on it, the folio case and everything was adorned Soho. So it wasn't, it, we couldn't legally put Apple on it, but inside of the labels, it said exclusively designed for the Apple store. Soho employees only. So sick. And it was just, and, and it was so dope. It got a lot of press, you know, you know, everyone in the store freaked out because all of a sudden three. Imagine that months, today. Yeah. It would, it would have probably been like 300 times bigger today. Exactly. So it was like, we got, you know, everyone thought I was kidding when I asked everyone for their size and management was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and next thing you know, these pallets come in 300 shoes and they're like, <laughs> what the hell is this? And they're like, these are the shoes. They were like, they were like, oh my God, you weren't playing. You like, actually no. did like, it. <laughs> like, I was like, you know, the jokes came out, homie, don't play that. Like, it just got crazy. And everybody was like, you know, the, 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 the staff was just holy. They must have like, loved you. Insane. Yeah, they were like, this is insane. You know, it was an incredible moment. And then, you know, HR ended up getting really annoyed by the situation because, <laughs> the press, because the press got out. And then the people that were applying for new positions there were like, 
if I get the job, do I get a pair of sneakers? And they're like, no, stop asking me about sneakers. Like, it, got to, it, got, it got to that point that it became this thing. It got, it got, you know, the word was out. And, you know, interesting enough, you know, um, after the whole thing went down, you know, um, one of the VPs was in town and one of like another person was in town. We ended up going out to dinner to like just chill and hang out and celebrate or whatever. And they were like, you know, hey, you should come work for us. And I was like, okay. And they're like, wait, you serious? And I was like, are you serious? And they're like, wait, what? And they were like, oh, I thought you would have been like, I won't leave Apple for you guys. Get out of here. I'm like, that's what they said. And I was like, no, I'm serious. It's time for me to go. You know, like, what's up? And they're like, okay. So the next thing you know, I get two job offers to pick one, which is crazy. Like, I'm like, pick one. Whichever one you want, it's yours, but you're going to have to wait um you're gonna have to wait um a month or two because i don't know if it stands now but with corporate companies and regulations the job offer has to be out on monster.com and all the job sites for a month to give other people fair chances because you know in the event that they do find someone higher qualified for the job but they're like hey look man we want you pick one but we have to wait and i was like all right so i picked one and it was between uh global uh, product line manager for skate or global product line manager for lifestyle. At that time, I wasn't skating that much as I used to be. I was more on the lifestyle side of things. I felt that the lifestyle side of it would have been much better for me. And yeah, man, uh, I, I accepted the job. And on February 1st of 2007, landed and went straight to the office and got my equipment and got to work. And you did you move to San Diego? You said they're based out of or, or you stayed in New York? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was relocated to san diego which was my life dream wanting to go skate wow. san diego was like the mecca of skateboarding yeah 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 you know, I, I wanted to be in skate i wanted to be in california all my life you know and and cra crazy enough just to add to the story prior to that i had only been to california san diego to be exact once before and that was five years prior when i had applied to the apple store and i got a reply saying yes we'd like to interview you this is the time and day only because of the, the volume of candidates. You, we only have a, a time slot for your interview at this time and day. And at, by the, at that time, I had already purchased a ticket to go to San Diego for my cousin's wedding. And I was a groomsman. And I was like, yes, of course, on the same day that I, that I, the day after I'm flying or the day before, it was like the day of that I was flying or I was flying the day before the interview. So anyways, I had to cancel my flight because I'm like, no, I'm, I'm getting this interview whatever it costs. And everyone's like, are you ridiculously nuts? I'm like, why don't you fly the day after? And I was like, no, the wedding, the wedding is like, you know, 24 hours after I would land. Like, I'm not trying to cut it close, Yeah. you know? And, and I, and I want to experience San Diego. I don't want to go to San Diego for two days and come back. So anyways, I, I, I canceled my flight, repurchased my ticket and went to the interview. And then I heard back, I don't know, maybe a week or two after I got back from the wedding and I got the job. So, then fast forward after I get the job five and a half years later, I'm in San Diego for the second time in my life as a resident working for DC shoes. Like life is just crazy. I don't even know how you summarize any of, and all of that into like a nutshell. That's just, you gotta be doing the right things for the universe to connect a lot of those dots. I mean, that's, that's, I, I hope so. <laughs> that's, that's truly, truly amazing. Um, Holy shit. I mean, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pull, obviously there's a lot more to your career to keep going. 
Um, yeah. But do you do you believe in that? You have to believe in like everything happens for a reason, or like that cliche stuff, or like the manifestation, or like uh, you know any other spin zone you want. Like you have to believe in this stuff, right? I certainly do. I mean, there's been quite a number of examples in my throughout my entire life that only leads to the desire to at least believe in that, you know, uh, and it's all how you look at it. You know, it's all how you perceive things you can perceive. It's so much easier to perceive everything in a negative light, like me taking that job at Apple, not only that, but canceling my flight. I was, I was poor at the time, man. I wasn't making any yeah. money. It's not like I had money to throw out and be like, yeah, I'll just rebook a ticket because I, I didn't buy a refundable ticket because I didn't have the money to buy a refundable ticket or, or a money. ticket that I could switch. <laughs> yeah, I, I just didn't have the money and I totally forfeited this ticket. Just obviously I tried to get it switched out. And they're like, nope, you got to pay. So, you know, you know, again, you can look at it in a negative light and say, no, I'm got, I got to go for this. I need this job, not because I need a job. I need this job right now. Art is not paying the bills right now. And it's not because I took a wrong, I made a wrong career choice. It's just because it's just not right right now. And I need to take two steps for, uh, backwards in order to advance or take a right turn when I should have made a left turn. I have to make those decisions because everything happens for a reason. And I have to seize the moment to gain the experience that is that will be offered through that choice. You know, everything's an experience. You have to absorb it and learn from it and keep it moving and apply it to the next opportunity. Wow, that's amazing. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus. This this is this is this has exceeded all of my expectations thus far. I, I usually don't say that halfway halfway through our conversation. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like, it's a cool story about footwear and stuff. Like, so far, uh, it's been a lot better. Um, so <laughs> I'm stoked Thank when you. this comes out. But anyway, how long were you at DC? I was at DC for slightly over five years, almost the same as. Uh, crazy it's almost the same as uh apple i was at apple for maybe five and three months and dc for probably like five and three months if so i think from, about it from 2000 what to seven when? uh 2007 to 2012 and, I'm, 2000. and then i'm gonna i'm gonna combine two questions into one sure how would you summarize that experience at dc and then what was your next experience uh dc was uh was it was dc university man if i could just put it into a small <laughs> phrase it was dc university it was a you know it was a great way to learn about the industry uh i mean for me it was quite more it was so much more valuable for me because i was a skateboarder so i got to you know rub shoulders with some the of best. the best skateboarders in the world that i had looked up to for decades you know it wasn't like Oh, I got a job with DC, you know, and now I love these skaters because they're cool. And oh, everyone else loves them. I should love them too. No, you know, these are the guys that I knew from before I was a teenager, man. You know, Danny Way. I knew of Danny Way. I came across Danny Way in like Future Primitive or like Public Domain. Like I'm talking about 80s, man. Like I knew about Colin McKay from also Public Domain. He had like a small little like 12 second thing in, in, in Canada in this indoor skate park with Lance Mountain. And it was like 15 <laughs> seconds, if that. And I, and I knew Colin McKay from that second on in my life, I acknowledged who Colin McKay was because he was so tiny in the video that he looked like me. And I was like, oh my God, I, that could be me. That guy's little compared to all the other skaters who looked more mature and you know more through puberty. 
And he, there was this tiny little Colin McKay that looked like me. And I'm like, oh my God, I could be Colin McKay. You know, I just have to keep skating. And even Danny Way, when I first saw him, was tiny. He was a little older. He looked a little older than me when I first saw him skateboarding, but he was a little kid, you know? So again, there was Danny Way, Colin McKay, which is, you know, a small inspirational point of why the name of the brand was DC Shoes, Damon, uh, Danny and Colin, but there's other reasons why, but that culminated many factors into what DC is today because they were the faces of DC. You know, then there was Rob Deerdeck, you know, those are the first three guys on DC Shoes, you know, then there was so many more, you know, even Keith Huffnagel, rest in peace, you know, yeah. I'm about to cry right now, I'm about to cry, sorry. Um, yeah. He was on DC Shoes and, um, yeah. And uh, I knew of him before DC Shoes because he's a New York skateboarder that I, I looked up to skating. Yeah, I'm getting emotional, sorry. Uh, oh, I looked sorry. up to him, you know, and my best friend's mom, my best friend's mom, I mean, we're, I'm talking about best friends since kindergarten. My best friend's mom worked with Keith's mom at the MetLife building in New York. Oh, and she always yeah. raved about Keith. And, you know, so I knew about Keith before I knew Keith, you know. And then when I finally met Keith, you know, I mean, I knew of him and I, I met him again. I was super young at the banks and throughout the city. And, you know, and when I met him, it was even that more special because I heard of how he was a household name before he was a household name. Yeah. You know, anyway. So, you know, again, these were guys that, you know, and because of DC shoes, you know, it allowed me to reconnect with Keith many years later because Keith was set up shop in San Francisco yep. and, you know, I, through DC Shoes, I got to go to San Francisco for the first time and visit his store and sell some of the sneakers that I was working on in his store. And, you know, you know, Keith was just a genuine loving guy and he would welcome everyone in regardless. But even so with me, because he had already known me as a little kid, you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing for me with DC Shoes. It wasn't just, wow. just skateboard. It wasn't just footwear. It was, it was culture. It was it was allowing me to learn about the sneaker industry within my culture and through the lens of a professional, you know, producer in the industry. So it was, it was huge. It was a huge learning for me. And it was, it's something that I could never ever um, take for granted. You know, it was, I, I was lucky. I was, I was so fortunate to get that experience with DC shoes and travel the world, man. I mean, I, I, I visited over, just with DC shoes alone, I visited over 30 countries or something wow. or over 40 cities and so many factories. And it was amazing, man. I, I, I can go on and on just about that. And uh, uh, that, that, well, that, that is a lot to take in. And obviously you're, you're, you're summarizing five years uh, of a lot of athletes, you know, a lot of product, a lot of travel. Um, obviously rest in peace to Keith who passed away last, last week, this past week um you know huff is a, a tremendous skate brand in itself i mean um yeah for those who grew up in the 90s or you know any anything like that you know you only hear positive things you know i read a lot of articles and you only hear positive things so uh it sounds like you had a very similar experience and um that's that's uh again i'm just saying this might be one of the uh, we're not even through this might be the best uh conversation i've had yet on this podcast this is incredible holy shit man that's uh what a summary. I asked you for a summary. You just, just dropped an atom bomb on everybody. <laughs> um, and then what was, uh, what was the decision like to leave DC? And then what was your next adventure? Yeah, well, unfortunately with DC Shoes, I was uh, eventually laid off because um, 
it wasn't unfortunately it wasn't it was just the it's just the industry you know and um and it wasn't because of like performance or anything like that it was you know i was fortunate to to had survived six or seven layoffs before i was finally wow. laid off you know um uh, it was, dc shoes is owned by quicksilver and at the time they had made many unfortunate business decisions acquiring other companies that you know completely just failed and they lost so much money and dc was fortunately hot and making a lot of money and i'm humbled and proud to say i was a part of that growth and uh energizing that growth but um the deficit was so big that even the profits that dc was bringing in wasn't enough yeah to uh sustain the the personnel and you know, I was laid off and I was a little guy. It became, it became pretty much a layoff of salaries. You know, they had the salaries and I was like one of like seven guys on the DC side, seven people on the, C, the DC side. And, you know, there was VPs laid off with me and directors and I was the lowest salary of all of them. And then on the Quicksilver side, it was like 40 some odd people. Let that go. So, yeah. so yeah, so, you know, just, you know, no ill will. It's just, it is what it is, you know, yeah, and it was time happened. to move on, you know, again, it was five plus years of an amazing experience. I will say that, you know, they set me up after, you know, pretty well. So, you know, shout out to DC shoes and Quicksilver, you know, um, I give till this day, I give a lot of thanks post my employment with them because they, 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 they paved the path for me to help me be where I am today. So, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about that. And then my, the job that I got after was with Palladium Boots. And that was amazing too, you know, just shortly after. Uh, so I, 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 I do. Uh, and again, it's like, you, you just keep, you're like this, this, uh, this community guy that is connector, this, uh, you know, very similar to like, just building all these relationships. So it, one of the first things, and, and I, cause I don't know you from, from really any longer of a conversation than this. Uh, when I did some, a little bit of homework, you got to work with the hundreds uh, and there's an article um, or a blog post about, you know, working with you through Palladium. Um, uh -huh. Do you want to talk about that experience and the, again, building networking collaborations? I mean, that, that, that the article was 2014, it said, I mean, like, yeah. That's even like a little bit before how big collaborations are today. Again, like let alone DC yeah. and Apple. Now you're talking, you know, collaborations before they get all this hype that that is 2020. Yeah. So basically at DC Shoes, really quickly, um, that was my focus was uh, working on collaboration. So, you know, I got to work with amazing people, third party um, entities to create amazing collaborations with. So I had that experience from dc so when I, I when i walked into the doors of palladium interesting enough just to back it up with the universe i want to add this um when i got laid off from dc in that summer in july of 2012 uh it wasn't until that winter that i ended up getting the job with with palladium and it was because um i had decided to go to japan with marcus troy and prior to that i couldn't find work and my condo in San Diego, because I had already moved up to LA by that time, my condo in San Diego, the, the tenant disappeared. He was in the military, so he wasn't paying rent for months. My oh. tenant, my tenant in my condo on the East Coast, they were pulling out. So all my savings that I had prepared, because I knew I was going to get laid off, because it was, the writing was on the wall with the business, I had prepped 
my, my, my savings to, to survive in the, in the event that I couldn't find a job for a time, quite some time after. So all my savings got absorbed by all those inconveniences. So, you know, I had already planned to go to Japan because I was saving money and I was going to plan to travel after DC shoes and keep my network and just travel the world and get inspiration before, you know, focusing and, and, and dedicating my time to a new job. So fast forward, I decided to go to Japan and my wife was like, you're crazy. We don't have the money. Why would you go to Japan? What is wrong with you? And I was like, no one's going to want me sitting here. I have to go. I have to get out. So as, we're, as I'm flying to Japan, Marcus Troy gets a, an email. The president of Palladium or the VP of marketing from Palladium sent an email blast to his network saying, hey, I'm looking for someone that we need to be able to manage our brand and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and then he was, he was like sitting there and he's like, yo, dude, I just got this email and they're looking for you. You know, do you know Palladium Boots? And I was like, of course. And they're like, do you mind if I connect you? And I was like, yeah. Had I not been on that plane yeah. and, and Marcus got that email, he would have been like, I'm busy right now. I'm flying. Like, I don't want to. Or he might have not thought of you. Right. So that universe, it's crazy, right? So I fly back. I, I, I come back. I get an interview. The president of, of, of which is owned by K-Swiss, Palladium. The, for the president of K-Swiss is from Queens like me. We drive. I get the job. It's like crazy. Like, they're like, you're in, you know? So I get this job. And the first thing I work on is thinking about fall uh, 14, you know, which is, the, or whatever it was. Uh, anyway, so um, I'm, I'm working on the brand. The first thing I do is like, we need to do a collaboration with Alpha Industries. And they're like, what, Alpha Industries? They're like, and I was like, are you kidding me? You guys don't even know what this is or you never thought of it? And they're like, ah, I don't know about this. They're like, Alpha Industries is the absolute parallel to your brand's history and your story. You guys started off making the tires for the warplanes and they were making the aviator jackets for the pilots. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, hello, like you guys have to merge, you have to tell the story. So sure enough, you know, we contact or sure enough, um, as the universe would have it, we share the same PR agency. So the, the VP of marketing wow. reached out to the PR agency and said, hey, can you reach out to them? Let us let them know that we're interested in the collab. And they were like, they did. And they were like, nope, not interested. And they're like, we, we only reserve collabs for Japan. We don't want to do any collabs with any, anyone here in the U.S. And I was like, nope, I'm not taking no for an answer. Set me up with a meeting. So I told the PR agency, I was like, set me up with a meeting. They're like, well, you know what? They're going to be at the next project show. You guys are going to be there. You know what? Let me see if I can at least set up a full meeting to introduce each other. And you can take it from there. So, of course, we go, we walk over, me and the VP and, the, and then and the head of PR. They introduced me to the president, CEO, and I just pitch him and he falls in love with me. And he's like, we have to do this. Cause I tell him the story. I tell, I tell him his story and I tell him the, I tell him his story and I tell him the palladium story. And he's like, I can't say no to that. Yeah. So the PR, the PR uh, person and, and, the, and the VP of marketing is like, holy shit, didn't expect that. And we got to work and that became the biggest collaboration in palladium's history in terms of um, volume and in terms of like just in, in engagement, you know? And, and, and this was early Instagram, man. Instagram, like Palladium was only on Instagram at the time with like, I remember this, they had 283 followers at that time when I started working for them. Like they were like, they weren't even focusing on Instagram. They weren't even thinking yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. you know? So anyway, so, you know, um, 
when I did the shoe and I designed the shoe, I designed it because our, the Palladium was pitched with their whole brand ethos was about exploring travel. And I felt, okay, great. When you travel, you know, having traveled so much by that point, the biggest pain about traveling was having to take your shoes off at every checkpoint going in and out of an airport. So I designed the boots with the zipper to match the jacket so you can easily zip off the boot without having to reset your laces. And you flop, you take the boots right off, whoop, zip it back on and you're ready to go. Super easy on and off. So that was the, that was the design feature as a function. Obviously I wanted the fabric to be 100% from Alpha, not something we sourced. Uh, everything was 100% one-to-one and like to match. And then I obviously designed it with the orange lining, which is the story of the jacket. When pilots crashed and survived, they would flip their jackets inside out in the jungle so they can be you know, no- noticeable by rescue crews. And that was the point of the jacket being orange on the liner and making it reversible. So I had to tell that story. And you know, the, the, the webbing tab on the zipper would say, uh, remove before flight on the jacket. Cause that's what that is. That, 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 that flag is to, you know, check the engines and the flow. If it's, if it's waving, that means it's systems go, then you remove it on the boots. I wrote remove before exploring. So that was a little thing that got, you know, got a little rave. And then, you know, when I, when, when I got the first proto and it was all said and done, you know, the, the VP of marketing and the team was like, I don't think the boots are going to sell with the orange lining, you know, because you're supposed to flip the boot down and that's how people wear it. And I was like, it's going to be too loud. It's not going to sell as much. And I was like, quite the opposite. It's going to sell more. And they're like, I don't think so, man. I was like, yes, it's going to make the shoe. It's going to make the boot right. And they're like, man, you'll be lucky if you saw a thousand pairs. You know, most of our collabs yield 1500 pairs. I'm like, you'll be lucky if we even make half that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Because you know why? Because I'm guaranteeing you at least 5,000 pairs. And like, oh my God, who is this guy? What, who did we hire? <laughs> who did we hire? Like, <laughs> we kind of butted heads a little bit and they're like what in the world is this like what we ought we hired a monster that's gonna like you know drive us into the ground and we're gonna crash like these warplanes did no fast forward the boots drop we did fifty thousand pairs that's not even close to a thousand yeah man we crushed it we killed it and we could have made more but the material literally missed the boat (laughs) Oh my God. We had, we had, we, there was a material delay and, and, and Asia wanted to order. Uh, they, we only made four colors and it was the black, the sage green, the, the midnight, the Navy and the, uh, which is called Recli- replica blue and the uh, burgundy one, the maroon. And that was in the baggie that you fold down and the Pampa high, the one that you don't fold down, it just comes right above the ankle. We only made the black and the sage in that. So we needed two of the Pampa high and then the four colors in the, in the, in the, in the baggie, which you fold. Asia wanted to order like another 40,000 of the Pampa high because they've sold more of the Pampa high than the, than the baggie. But the material delay was so bad that they weren't going to meet their deadline. So we didn't make more. Wow. So, so that was the, till this day, they have never had a collaboration as big. That's incredible. Till this, till this day, literally they, they, uh, uh, well, you know what? K-Swiss hasn't had a collaboration that big yet that many pairs even like their gary v stuff recently i worked on that stuff and no they didn't make that many pairs in gary v no full um, disclosure that's awesome though um i mean yeah i think just exposure wise it was probably pretty good but um that's awesome so how long were you at palladium uh palladium i would say i was a, a 
for a year, I was just their global product line manager. And then I got promoted to, to their director, global director of product. Uh, all, all together about four years. Okay. About four years, yeah. Maybe a by the, little by the way, like, can I just, uh, if you don't mind sharing, like, how old are you during all this? Because I mean, that I mean, for those listeners, I mean, you throw out the word global in a, in a title, right? It's a big, it's a big deal, right? So how old are you? Like, obviously, you have a ton of experience at this point in different facets, but. Yeah, I was, uh, so parts, I mean, so DC, yeah, I was in my late mid twenties at DC, 25, 26. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. You know, 25, You were, you were in your thirties. With Palladium and, and Case yeah. Swiss, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, throughout my 30s, pretty much, yeah. And so just to, to fast forward and, and uh, after Palladium, what did you end up doing? Or why did you leave Palladium? So Palladium, again, is owned by Case Swiss. And uh, basically, Case Swiss, even when I, believe it or not, when I came on to Palladium, I would say several months later, four or five months later, Case was sold to uh, a Korean company. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. They sold to, I, so I got hired like in December of 2000, uh, what it was, 12. And then May of 2013, they got sold to a Korean company. And after a few years, of, you know, obviously then the whole organization, the whole corporate structure changed. They gave that a test. And what they did was they, they ended up, uh, creating a president for every brand. Whereas before it was, it was, um, no, actually, yeah. After, after they sold, um, the Korean company set one president for everything for all brands. And, you know, they tried that out for a while, I, I guess like a year or two. And then after that, they decided to, um, create a president for each brand. So a president for Palladium, a president for K-Swiss, and they had another brand called Otzi and then they acquired Supra. So then all these brands had their own president, whatever, whatever. And then eventually, you know, they felt like Palladium needed its own president completely. And they gave the presidency to the guy that they actually bought Palladium from, the original K-Swiss owner bought Palladium from in France. He was still operating in France all these years, but France, you know, Palladium is like their Timberland. So that was its own universe. They were doing yep. millions of dollars. So, you know, they were doing their own money over there, but they felt like, you know, the Koreans were like, you know what? He knows what he's doing. Let's give the brand to him to completely develop and e develop everything out of France. And so they did a whole nother reorg again. They had to lay off some people, whatever, whatever. And I was just the fortunate one. I guess I was a part of the solution. You know what I'm saying? And they were like, Hey, look, we want you to come over to K-Swiss and do what you did for Palladium there. We need, cause, cause, cause K-Swiss, was on a downward, a repetitive, like it was just on a downward slope the entire time while yep. Palladium was going up. So they were like, that's why they had to give the Palladium to France so that they can focus that over there and completely focus on K-Swiss here in the States. So they were like, hey, we want you to come over, you know, literally switch over and be here. If not, you know, there's just no other place for you because we're giving Palladium back over there. And I was like, sure, I'd love to. And that was, that was the very beginning of the whole Gary Vee thing. This was like, this was in days and months. This whole reorg was in days and months of the plan and the idea of Gary. So that was one of the selling points from the president, the new president of K-Swiss saying, look, man, I got this Gary Vee thing that I'm thinking about. What do you think? And I'm like, 
you're on to something. And Did you like, know of him beforehand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't like a devotee. I wasn't really into Gary Vee, but I was well aware of his his angle and what he was doing, what he was about, you know? I was I was aware, you know? I, I, the, 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 the amount of content level wasn't where it is today. So it yeah, wasn't yeah, like yeah. Gary Vee all day, every day. It was Gary Vee once or twice a week at that point. Right. You know what I mean? So I knew the potential there. He only had like, he had less than a million followers at the time. You know what I mean? At that so, point, yeah, now it's, yeah. Now, what, five or six or seven? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, this was pre-1 million, you know. But again, I, I saw I saw the potential. It was no doubt in my mind. It wasn't like, ugh, I don't know about this. It was like, now you're going with something. Because K-Swiss yeah. was repositioning itself as the, the, the brand for entrepreneurs. And he was the voice that was emerging for entrepreneurship. So I was like, okay, now you're aligning. Yeah. And my and my ta- and my take on it was which the president appreciated and he was like, "Damn, I like your I like your take on this." I was like, "K-Swiss, the ori- the the original the what was it? K-Swiss is the American tennis brand, the only American ter- tennis brand. And tennis the ev- the you know, the the ethos of tennis and the and the grounds of tennis was born on country clubs, swinging a tennis racket and in between swinging that tennis racket these people were willing and dealing deals because that's what they did. They were entrepreneurs. They were business owners. They were at a country club for Christ's sakes. They weren't at an office all day working. So entrepreneurship was born on the tennis court and then, and then the golf course, you know what I'm saying? Et cetera, et cetera. These are affluent sports. So my, my whole take was case was the American tennis brand, the affluent sport that gave birth to entrepreneurship. And he's just like, Whoa, Okay, let's do you it. Sold me on the, you sold me on that. And, the, and then the, the brand just took off with entrepreneurship. So I knew that Gary Vee was the right person for it. I had no, no doubts whatsoever. I wasn't surprised at what was accomplished with, with Gary Vee whatsoever. I felt that, you know, the skies was, was the limit with Gary Vee. So I was fortunate to spearhead and work on all the shoes with Gary, at least the first five, which interesting enough, five is his favorite number. K-Swiss is a five-stripe brand. I mean, talk about the universe, you know? And there's no sixth one. I don't know. I Actually, they did do another shoe. Did they? They did. I thought there yeah, was only five. I, uh, I actually own a pair, believe it or not. Uh, oh, nice. I, I am a fan of Gary V's and, and his messaging. Obviously, he can be over the top sometimes, but the, major- the majority of it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of surrounding yourself, your environment with you know, positivity and, and a right mentality to set yourself up for success. So I actually do own a Which was you own? I own the, the, the white clouds, the clouds and dirt version. Um, nice. I own white lows. I bought them at a complex con back in 2017, I want to say, or 18, whenever those yeah. came out. Yep. So I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just one of those, one of those weird moments. Um, I thought about reselling them just cause they, they, they spiked right after, but I, I held on to them. I think one day they'll be worth even more. I'm sure they will. So, yeah, I mean, that's amazing that you got to, you got to work with him on it. Like that's, that's his whole team. I actually had a uh, dust in his current like videographer. I had him on the podcast. Uh, oh yeah. Cause he does this thing called tea with Gary V now in the mornings during work from home. Dustin is like his co-host who does all the back end. I had him ah, on the podcast. Nice. Yeah, dude, Dustin, Dustin's a rock star. He just BMX the whole nine yards. Super cool story, too. If you ever have uh, like an hour to listen to, I, I recommend it. I will. Um, 
So after K Swiss, is that when you start your own brand? We'll wrap it up with your own brand. I know, I know we're, we're, we've been cruising through it, but man, you've got a lot of content in that brain of yours. <laughs> oh yeah, man. There's so much more. Yeah. Right after K Swiss. Um, yeah. I started my own brand, as you know, Magnus Alpha and it was time, man. I, you know, I had, did, um, I had my, you know, I had a, a good decade now in, in the industry, you know, I learned enough and I had, I finally had the, the resources and the confidence to just go on, on my own and do it the way I believe it should be done. And, was this and always like a, a thing or an idea of yours to like have your own brand or was it like over the years of working, you're just like, I'm tired of corporate life. Like I want to work for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was an off and on thing for many years to fat, to, to go way back when I was a kid, um, you know, growing up in New York city, pre-internet, you know, the deception at retail was ridiculous where a lot of brands, a lot of knockoffs were just everywhere. Knockoffs were just so available, you know, from head to toe, from hats all the way down to your feet, knockoffs everywhere. So it was always a challenge to buy something with the confidence that it was legit, you know, and, and, and risk being called out by your peers. Like, Oh, you got the fake ones. Like, you know, like you're a kid, you just not like you have money. You could be like, Oh shit, let me go, go buy the right thing real quick. No, <laughs> what your parents bought you, that's all you have for your, rest of your school year Facts. whatever whatever yeah. so anyway so i was i was always you know taken back by that and like disappointed or angry or or curious as a novice like yo why do they, why do companies with resources leverage their resources to knock other brands off why don't if i was able to make my own shit and i had a factory or or the machinery to make my own stuff i'd make my own stuff i'd create my own brand i would start another movement why would you knock something off and try to pass it off as legit? So I was always like, that was always on the back of my mind. And I'm like, man, the day I have the resources, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to do something inspiring and positive. And fast forward, I finally, you know, gained the knowledge and the resources to do that. And I was like, it's time, you know? And so how long have you been doing it now? Uh, Magnus Alpha now, full time post K-Swiss. Uh, it's going to be, uh, Two years now. Uh, at the uh, yeah, two years at the end of the at the end of the year. It'll wow. be two uh, official years. I mean, uh, Magnus Alpha was in development during my time at Palladium and K Swiss on yeah. the side. Like it was always an idea. You know, people were always hitting me up. Let's do this, and I'm like, I don't have the money. You know, I, you know, I don't have the. I'm not in a position in my life that I can just go off on my own and do that. I have kids, and then it just it just progressed and, and, and the opportunities just get, kept getting more and more attainable. And then, um, yeah, then my last year at K-Swiss, it was becoming more of a, of a, of a tangible reality. So I was like, all right, it's time to do it. What, um, what are like the next steps for the brand or like, what's your goals with it and, and moving forward, you know, after this year, uh, as it's been a wild ride thus far, but do you, do you have like certain milestones that you need to achieve or like, a strategy that you're going after that you want to share or don't want to share? No, sure. I mean, right now, you know, I'm, I'm leveraging the, 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 the small success of the brand to help many people in need right now, especially, you know, workers in the garment industry that are out of work and not uh, in a position to earn money to put food on the table, especially Latinos here in LA, which make up a majority of, you know, the work force in, 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 in apparel. So I made it, a, I made a conscious decision from the very beginning, but when I was you know, launching the brand to produce my products here in the U S or in Mexico, um, not in Asia. 
and nothing against Asia, but, you know, just, just on a, on a sense of sustainability and, you know, local, you know, thinking global, acting, acting local kind of mentality. So, you know, right now I just designed these pants that I created solely for the opportunity to create work for these garment workers so that they can earn money because a lot of factories are shut down because of the pandemic and some of them may not survive the shutdown. So I've partnered with, you know, some, some factories that I really, really respect because of the way they treat their workers. And the, the, the setup pre-COVID was very nice and very fair. So, yeah, so that's what I'm doing with that right now. The pants are on uh, pre-order now until October 1st because I'd like to get started and create the work for them as soon as possible. So if you go to magnusafa.com, you'll see the pants there. Uh, in terms of COVID and what's going on, you know, flu season's upon us. So I'm launching new hoodies like the one that I'm wearing actually has a um, built-in mask in it. So let me see if I can get this one out real quick. So this has a built-in mask. You got show and tell okay. coming to you live. Look at that. Holy shit. So yeah, so it's built in. And you can just tuck it away. You could switch out the filter. You could switch out the nose bridge. You know, you could detach it and wash it if you don't want to wash the hoodie just yet. And um, so these are going to be out soon, you know, because it's flu season. Can we just get a so. first look? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, like, you know, this hoodie, you know, out of sustainability and responsibility, this hoodie is 100% in the, made in the U.S. The cotton is grown here. It's sourced. Everything, everything is done here. The labels, the mask, everything is 100% made in the U.S., you know, in a factory that, you know, I would love to work in. You know, when does like, it go like live? Uh, the hoodie is going to be right after the, the pants. So the pants, the pre-orders uh, closes on October 1st, so next Thursday. I might push it to Friday. I don't know. We'll see how it's going. And then uh, the hoodie would be the following week, you know, because it's flu season right then and there. It's kicking in. And, and the hoodies would be available right away. I've already cut and sewn a lot of the hoodies to, to supply any, any immediate demand. Well, you have a, I, I don't, I don't purchase a lot of product and, and, but I, I promise I will guarantee to buy a hoodie, one of, one of those hoodies. Cause that is amazing. Oh, dope. So Thank you, you, man. Definitely got my order in the future, but uh, yeah. Thank so, you, man. So in, in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll make sure to plug the links and stuff like that. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your Sunday. I really appreciate you joining us on an untold narrative. This has been one of the greatest conversations that we've had. <laughs> Uh, this is, you got, you got to talk to more people about your story. I'm trying and I'm trying to make the time man. I have three kids. It's been, it's yeah, been crazy. So, I mean, it's it so sounds crazy. like you've got a rock star wife. If she's uh, questioning your Japan trips and then you come back being like, I got a job. <laughs> Literally. That's how it all went down. It went down. She's like, <laughs> she's like, she's like, I don't understand your world. Okay. Whatever. Like your world is crazy. Oh my God. That's, that's uh, a, hey, hey, as long as you just being like, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm sure she trusts you at this point. <laughs> yeah. So we'll make sure to uh, plug the links to, to alpha Magnus. Uh, where can people find you on social? Just homie Diaz, H O M M Y D I A Z or Magnus dot alpha on Instagram. And then my, my social handles are the same, just homie Diaz across all socials. Perfect. Well, I'm uh, not on Snapchat, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not on that either. I can't keep up with it all. I, I try to do TikTok on the side and it's just impossible anyway. Uh, so please go check out homie, uh, check out his work, follow his story, uh, support the product that's going to a good cause. It's made in the U S 
Uh, thanks for joining us, man. This was truly, truly incredible. And I'm, I'm blessed to have you on board and, and, and you spending the time with us to share your story. The pleasure is mine and I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right, we'll be in touch super soon, all right? All right, man, take care. Hey, cheers, thank you so much.